Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Tim. I want you to go with me to the book of Romans, chapter number eight. Remain standing. Romans, chapter number eight. We're ending the series on winning season. And my assignment can be found in Romans chapter number 8. When you have it, say amen. Amen. Starting at the 31st verse, Paul asks a question. The question begs for context. And so let me read the question. I'll give you a little context before I read further. What shall we say about all about such wonderful things as these? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Such wonderful things as what, Paul? Well, Romans chapter number 8 is Paul's beautiful breakdown. Verses 1 through 17, talking about what it is to live a spirit-filled life. Verses 18 through 30, what it is to be adopted as sons and daughters based on the seal that we have in the spirit. So I was talking about what it is to be adopted, to have true sonship, the spirit of glory living on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit helping us in our weakness with groanings that we cannot understand. This is where we get to know about the foreknowledge of God, the predestination of God, the election of God, him choosing us, calling us making us righteous, and then giving us his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who? If he stopped right there, it would have been enough. He didn't even need to finish the sentence. If God is for us, who? Name the person. Name the location. Don't matter how big they are. Doesn't matter how many weapons they have. Doesn't matter how intimidating their voice is. If God is for me, who? Giving me our vibes, who? Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No! 
despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. It's my assignment to preach to you from the subject on our seventh anniversary. Nothing can. Nothing can. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. It's churchy in, here today. churchy in here today. We usually don't look at our neighbors. But today we do. Look them square in the eye and say, neighbor. neighbor. Nothing can. Turn to the other neighbor and say, other neighbor. Other neighbor. What's, up? What's up? If you didn't hear what Tim just said, the title of this message is, I'm going to repeat for you what he said. Neighbor, nothing can and nothing will. Let's go. You may be seated. <laughs> Holy Spirit, prove to us nothing can. Mm. Oh. The book of Romans is uh, a theological treatise. It is... In New Testament canon, one of the most powerful books ever written by one of the most powerful writers that ever lived. Saul, Hebrew name. Paul, Roman citizen name. Is not just one of the greatest apostles and contributors to what we now have as the Bible. He is quite frankly one of the best literary agents God has ever used to pen scripture. His pen was actually mightier than his words. He said of himself that I'm not really a good preacher. Cephas and Apollos would have been the best preachers of Paul's day. Paul did not have a lot of sophisticated words that he preached with, but when he put pen to paper, couldn't stop him. What's powerful about Paul is that um, his selection by Jesus would go against the grain of most Christians in our time. Jesus had 12 men that followed him for three and a half years, hand-selected. Out of those 12 men, he had some that were amazing. Peter is somebody that after filled with the Holy Spirit, would look Annas and Caiaphas in the face, the ones who put the hit out on Jesus. Peter looked them dead in the eye and said, you the one who killed him. 
knowing that he could have been killed himself. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, stuff that would intimidate you just don't intimidate you no more. You can't do something with anybody who's, afraid to, who's not afraid to die. There's nothing you can scare them with anymore. If death doesn't scare them, what you going to do? He had Peter. He had James. He had John. He had Levi, also called Matthew. He had Thomas. He had some great disciples. And Jesus overlooks all of those and says, there's a person that I need to penetrate the hearts of really stubborn Jewish people and really heady philosophical Gentiles. I could make a supernatural deposit of wisdom into the ones that I already called, but you know what? I want somebody else. I'm not sure after he ascended to heaven if he conferred with his angels or if he was just talking to his father, uh, but they chose Saul. A Benjamite, rabbi, trained by Gamaliel, a Hebrew if there ever was one, who hated Jesus. He chose a murderer, someone who armed with papers given permission by the, the religious leaders of his day was on his way to Damascus to knock on every door to find out who believed in the way. And had they been bold enough to stand at the door and say, I do, Paul would have them arrested instantaneously, tried, and he would choose for them to be murdered. Jesus said, I want that one. Imagine the angels who can't understand God's interaction with us anyway. You still in love with that dirt? You still in love with them dusty people? With all their inconsistencies and their rebelliousness and their idiosyncrasies and their leanings and, and they get into all types of trouble and God's just up there like, oh, but I love them though. Well, how come you just don't love the nice ones? There's plenty of nice ones. You keep you going after the nice ones, but you also be going after them nasty, ratchet ones too. What is wrong? How come you just don't stick with nice people? And, 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 and now you're looking for a writer for, for scripture, and, 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 and you, you want the mind of a murderer? Yeah, 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 I want him. But but he like he thinks he thinks he has a relationship with you, but he actually doesn't. I, I know, I know, I know. I'm going to fix that, but, but I want him. But he hates Jesus. I know. I want him. But he's murdering people that love Jesus. I know, I know, I know. They're already up here with me. <laughs> Stephen, you think we should get him? Stephen looked. Is that a dude that was holding the coats of the elders while... Those elders were stoning me? He's like, yeah, 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 I I'm looking for him. I I you think we should use him? He's like, I'm up here, I guess. <laughs> do you, fam? I made it. I don't know what. I don't know what else you want to do. 
He says, I want the murderer. It's going to be a great testimony. Because nobody is expecting the murderer to confess me. I don't know if you know how much God likes doing this. But he loves using the foolish things to confound people that think they're smart. So he chooses this murderer. And when he chooses this murderer, in Acts chapter number 9, you can go read it for yourself. Ananias goes into uh, this man's house, Judas's house, I believe, and, and, and he talks to him. And, and he says, Saul, uh, God has a great work for you. And something, scripture says, something like scales pops out of Saul's eyes. That's all that's over the world's eyes right now is scales. And instead of arguing and debating with them, trying to win them to Christ, because you've never won anybody to Jesus, just pray that the scales pop out of their eyes so that, can, so that they can see clearly. You don't have to debate with an agnostic. Just pray that the scales pop out of their eyes. You don't have to debate an atheist. Just pray that the scales pop out of their eyes. Have stimulating discussion, but when it starts getting heated and your blood pressure starts rising, just walk away. That's, you, 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 you still believe in the visible man? Just be like, you know what? You just scaly up in here. You... I have perfect 2020 vision. I don't have cataracts. It's not physical, fam. It's spiritual. I used to be the same way. I'm just going to pray that they pop out. I'm not going to sit here fooling with you all day. He literally has these scales pop out of his eyes, and instantly he can see. It don't take him two years. I'm just a baby Christian. I'm just trying to figure it out. No, no, no. Them scales pop out. He's like, Jesus, Lord. I know I don't know the, the, the original the disciples that became apostles, but he is Lord right now. I, I know I got some more relating to do, and he has some downloads to give me, but I know this one thing right now. I was blind. Now I see. So he starts putting pen to paper, and listen, if he didn't give us anything other than Romans, it would have been enough. Theologians are still grappling with the mysteries that were downloaded to Paul way back then. And when he gets to Romans chapter number 8, he just starts, I don't know, the Holy Spirit through him just starts showing off. His first line when he gets to chapter 8, which is not chapter, he didn't break it down in chapters. That's not how he wrote it. But, but the way we break it down, the first line, the first verse in chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. <laughs> Listen, I have never wrote nothing that good. I've been with Jesus 26 years. You can compile all my text messages and emails and everything I wrote. I promise you 2,000 years from now nobody would be like, turn to the book of 3 Timothy. Oh, this guy wrote some stuff, and what kind of text messages was he sending? What is a GIF? <laughs> My text threads are petty. That's why they're private. Um, can you imagine you just writing away, and you write something so potent that 2,000 years later, before I can finish the sentence, y'all can 
That man starts writing through Romans and breaking down what it is to have the Holy Spirit and how your flesh will always be at war with your spirit and they're never going to agree and you're going to be fighting for the rest of your life. He gave us more calibration than most pastors. Churches got us out here fooled thinking that we're not even supposed to be tempted no more. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 13, there is no temptation that is overtaking you, but such as is common, not unique. The enemy will keep you in silence thinking that your issue is so bad, you're the only one going through it. But the Holy Spirit through Paul penned a word to free you from keeping a secret any longer. You don't have a unique situation. You don't have a unique temptation. You don't have a very special case of sin. From the balcony of heaven, God says, that's just common to man. What you into? That's common to man. Well, 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 I, I, I was abused growing up, and he goes, and, 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 and I have trauma from that, and I, and I don't trust people. That's common to man. I was exposed to some really ratchet stuff growing up, and as a result, I just, I was, I'm highly promiscuous. He said, that's common to man. Well, I have a same-sex attraction, and, and it's really strong on the inside of me. And he goes, that is common to man. Well, I, I really go off at the mouth. I pop back. I be trying to be quiet, but <laughs> folks be testing me. And then before I know it, the thing done flew out my mouth. And then I'm like, oh, Jesus, bring it back. But it's already gone. And he's like, that is common to man. I have a fear of rejection, so when I get around people, I usually don't open up because of fear that I'm going to say something wrong. And he goes, that's common to man. I'm a people pleaser, and so at the expense of my no, I give them my yes, even though it puts me in stress. And he goes, that is common to man. You ain't going through nothing that nobody else in this room is not going through. It is common to man. If you ever want to know if you got a unique situation, start reading from Genesis and just scroll all the way through to Revelation. You will find out you ain't done half the ratchet stuff as the people in the Bible. You mad because you cheated on your boyfriend and he tends you to go see David and you like, well, at least I didn't kill the dude in front of me and then I wasn't looking through the apartment window at somebody and telling my homegirl to go bring him back to my house. I mean, David, you a little bit off. He writes this stuff so that you will know that when you live by the Spirit, it's going to be a fight. Nobody told you it was going to be easy. You're going to have days when you wake up when the flesh is like, I don't care about your devotion time. Feed me, Seymour. I just dated myself, but if you know that reference, good for you. Good for you. You grew up on Blockbuster, not Netflix. Good for you. It's like 100 millennials in here like right now. Who's Seymour? I don't... He writes down all this stuff. And he's talking about the spirit. And, and, and last week, we, we, we got to verse number 11, where he said, the same spirit that lives in Christ Jesus lives on the inside of you. And, and, and just as uh, uh, God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies also, that you may be able to live by this same spirit living on the inside of you. He's just writing, he's just writing, he's just writing. Talking about all the spirit-filled stuff. Then he's, 
gets to the next section, and he starts writing about what the Holy Spirit's on the inside of you to do. That he is the seal of approval. That, 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 that he, is, he is literally the person that shows up to confirm your sonship, your heirship with God the Father. That we are his sons and daughters and we have access to him in a way no other creature ever created has access to him. Not even the angels have a testimony that we have because we're the only created beings that he ever made that have the testimony we have been redeemed. Just write. After you finish writing about that and the complexities uh, that, have, that have caused all the cessationists to really grumble in their, in their rooms while they're trying to read through exhaustive concordances, he says there are, that the Holy Spirit will speak through you with groanings that cannot be uttered. This is, this is going back to the old churches I grew up in where, where the saints, even though they were spirit-filled and would speak in tongues, sometimes they would have so much pressure on them, they didn't have any words and all they could do was moan. And it seems like that moaning was anguish and it was really the Holy Spirit going, shut up, I got this. Your words are confusing and you're giving the devil too much information. So you hush. And I'm going to take every moan that you just gave and bring it to the ears of your father. And he'll decode what you just said. And he's going to come back with an answer. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. He's coming back with your answer. I know your generational curse is trying to fight it. I know your pride and your ego is trying to wall up as a defense against it. But I promise you, your father in heaven is coming back with a word for your situation. You will not die like this. Put the knife down. Put the gun away. You will not not commit suicide. You will not make a permanent decision based on a temporary situation. You shall live and not die and declare what God has done in your life. God, I don't know what you're doing, but coming through, but mm, I don't know how you're going to fix it, God, but mm, mm, mm. And Paul just breaking it down with his little pen. And then after he finishes breaking all of that good stuff down, he goes, you do know that whom he did foreknow he predestined. And whom he predestined, he called. And who he called, he justified. And who he justified, he sanctified. And who he sanctified, he glorified. Ooh, Ooh Paul, your pen is so potent. Put a period to that. He knew it was good when he wrote it. Ah, young. Which brings us to verse 30, number one, verse 31. What shall we say about all these wonderful things? All this stuff I just wrote going to bless me so much I have to write before I even send it off to you. What are we even going to say about such wonderful things as these? 
I'll tell you what. If God is for us, who? Now, you got to understand, if the Apostle Paul writes this, it's so much different than the context that we might have. This man is writing as someone who has been imprisoned. This man is writing as someone who has had his bat his back beaten three different times, 39 times each. This is a man writing this who has been stoned and left for dead. A man that had to escape such persecution one time that they had to lower him through a window in a basket for him to roll out and get away to where he was supposed to go. This is a man who was prophesied about him. Somebody took off Paul's belt and put it around themselves tied up their hands and their feet. That had to be a long belt. Tied up their hands and feet and said, the person that wears this belt will be in bondage just like me. Imagine getting a prophetic word like that. And when he got the prophetic word with this prophetic example of this man tied up, hands and feet, all the people went, oh God, no, don't go, Paul. It's a trap. <laughs> Save yourself. Hide, man. They didn't beat you up. They didn't left you for dead. You already going to go to get, get to a window to escape. You got to go. And Paul said, not only am I ready to be in prison for this, I'm ready to die. I know I just made him hood, but go with me. <laughs> I'm not just ready to go to jail, fam. I'm ready to die for this. It's the least I can do since I done killed off some of the people I now agree with. You want me to escape the same death I just put them through? You want me to disagree now with what my lot might be in life, even though I agreed with their, what theirs was? The devil is a lie. If it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. I'd be glad to do it. Paul starts writing, and it gets saucy up in there. If God be for us, who can be against us? Then he wrote something when the Holy Spirit woke me up this morning and I read this. I, I, I said to Juliet, I said, I've never heard, I've read this my whole life. I've never seen it until now. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Now, I know we grew up on John 3.16. We all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe it in him not, should not perish but have everlasting life. It's football season. You're going to see it in the end zone sometime this year. <laughs> you will not escape 17 weeks of football. I don't care what team it is without seeing somebody. <laughs> Everybody else going crazy for the touchdown. Ah! It's going to touch it. This dude... John 3, 16. Paul gives us a different wrinkle to the nuance of God's love than John does. He says, John gave it to you in a very loving way. God so loved the world. I, I, I want to give it to you uh, 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 the way it's landed on me. God looked at the separation he had between you and him. And he said, before I leave you out there like that, 
I will throw my word into the belly of a teenage girl to come get you. I won't spare my own word to get you back. I'll make my word bleed. That's how much I love you. That I will literally come through all time. The enemy thought on a technicality. You locked yourself out in Genesis. You said that you weren't going to interact in there unless you did it through a man or a woman, which means you can't get down here. He said, I bet you I can. I will impregnate a virgin with my word. Make my word put on flesh and make my word bleed to get her back. You got me twisted. If you ever think that you could put anything between me and the children I love. There ain't been a generational curse invented that I can't get through. There hasn't been ego high enough that I can't get through. There hasn't been any defiance strong enough that I cannot penetrate. There's never been a drug habit that's been so intense that I can't move back. I will come after my kids. I will get my babies, he said. If he didn't spare his own son, how much more would he do to get you? He goes on to say this, who dares accuse us from whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Can I just stop? He said, who, who's going to accuse us? Nobody. Because anybody that would bring an accusation against you has to deal with the fact that you didn't put you where you are. I'm trying to help somebody. You did not even give yourself the righteousness you have, which is why I can't stand self-righteous people. Because if you are righteous, it's not because of your works. It's not because of your perfect attendance in church. Let me submit something to you, ladies and gentlemen, whether you know this or not. When you gave your life to Jesus, you were made righteous the day you gave your life to Jesus. And you have not grown in righteousness. I'm going to let that marinate. You have not grown in your righteousness. You are just as righteous right now as the day you gave your life to Jesus. I've been saved for 26 years. I am no more righteous today than I was 26 years ago. I'm freer. I'm not more righteous. Because righteous is a position he put me in. Which is why Satan can't accuse me. I got to break this down. Do you know that anything Satan accuses you of is the truth? Ooh, I'm about to help somebody in this room. We down here talking about the devil is a lie. I rebuke the devil. The devil is a lie. He lies to you. He can't lie to God. Scripture says a liar cannot tarry in his sight. So when Satan presents himself to God, he tells the truth. He cannot lie. A liar cannot be in his presence. Go to Job chapter number one if you want to. You will read that when the angels presented themselves before God, Satan came also. And the conversation that God had with Satan, Satan told the truth about the entire situation that was going on with Job. Which means whenever he accuses you, he's telling the truth. You know Tatcha Rashid, right? You know she petty, right? You know she be lying for no reason, right? Because of her low self-esteem, she'd be lying about stuff that she ain't even got no business lying about. Talking about trips she went on, she didn't go on that trip. You heard her when she said it. You know she ain't telling the truth. 
She's lying. I don't even understand why you have a relationship with a liar. You don't have a relationship with me. I'm the father of lies, and I'm influencing her with some lie babies. So the lies that are in her mouth should let you know that you, she is disqualified from being in a relationship with you. And God's looking, and he's going, you telling the truth, accusation duly noted, but you forgot to tell me where Tasha is. Well, she right there lying. Yeah, she's not free from that yet, but tell me where she is. No, sir, she lying. No, 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 no. Don't tell me what she did. Tell me where she is. Positionally, where is, where is she? Tell me where I placed her. Well, she over there with you in that righteous spot. But she lying, though. I know she lying. I'm going to deal with that. Your accusation is noted, and it's invalid. Because the blood covered it. This is what is in Paul's mind when he writes this. No one can make an accusation against me. Somebody can come up and be like, you the dude that murdered all them Christians. I show, yep, that was me. But you can't accuse me because he's put me in a different position. But you're a murderer. Yep. And, oh, God, thank you, Holy Spirit. If anybody's taking notes, you need to write this down. I need to get rid of my butts. I'm helping somebody right here. I need to get rid of my butts. We need, to, we need to remove the majority of our butts and start using and. So many of us are going, you know what? I, you know, the devil been fighting me, but, you know, the Lord is still. No, two things can be true at once. The devil's fighting you and you're righteous. You're the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You be lying and... You're the righteousness of Christ Jesus. We're uncomfortable with that tissue. God is not. He has way more time than you do. He can iron out your wrinkles. He is long-suffering. He is never going to keep you where he finds you, but he will deal with you where you are. So just show up wherever you are right now. I've had people join this church come in smelling like weed. <laughs> they don't even know they smell like weed. That's how you stay, they, so you, that's how you stay are to their own scent. And they think that they cologne and or perfume did something to marijuana. It did nothing. It just made it a mustier scent. Because now you have these notes of cinnamon and jasmine mixed with weed, fam. What is your problem? And I love it. I love it. I love people that come in here smelling like cologne. I love people that come in here smelling like cigarettes. You know why? Come just as you are. Get up in the building. I don't care if you got on a sweatsuit, pajamas. Get up in the building and let God handle the transformation. No one can accuse us. So let's go to the next verse. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So who can condemn you? Nobody. And let me tell you why. Because Christ died for you. Died for you fully one time. Did it so good he ain't got to do it again for the rest of all human history and eternity put together. He ain't ever got to do it again. That's how, that's how efficacious the blood is. 
It was so good once, he never has to do it again. The blood still works. It will never lose its power. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. Did it once and for all. That blood is still working. He said, who's going to condemn us? Nobody. Why? Jesus died for us and died so good that he didn't have to die again, but didn't stay dead. Stay dead. He, he, he loved the fact that he took away our condemnation so much that after he died, he got back up. Gangster. It's not even Easter, and that feels good. Got up, and not only got up, went and sat next to his dad to plead our case to him. If he's pleading, that means you don't have to. Jesus is sitting next to his daddy going, hey, dad, don't worry. I know, I know, I know, I know. Chris is crazy. I know, I know Chris is crazy. His anger is crazy. But you remember Peter's was too, and we worked that out. And so, <laughs> remember the whole sword thing when he cut off the dude's ear, and then I just had to put it back on. And then, We know how to deal with people with anger issues. But remember, I'm just, just I just, I know the enemy's trying to accuse him of all this kind of stuff, and he feels crazy. But you remember, he didn't have a dad. He didn't have a dad. And so his neurosystem has been spiraling out of control, trying to figure out what it means to be a man and never had a man to teach him. And so although he loves you, he still pops off at the mouth, and his, still, his aggression is crazy. But don't worry about it. Chris is going to be okay. He's just daily making intercession for you. Unbeknownst to you. You just, and he's like, we're going to get him. Because remember, he has more time than you do, right? So, so, so you keep going in your anger. You keep brooding in your anger. And he already knows that on February 17th of like 2023, you're going to get a breakthrough. And be crying like that baby. I'm so aware of the room. You have no idea. I am so aware of this room. He's patient enough to plead and intercede on your behalf, knowing that you're going to have the breakthrough that you need to be the person he has always designed and created you to be. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? I love this part. This part I want to read for everybody that thinks they're taking an L right now while I've, been, while I've been doing this whole winning season. You're like, man, I know everybody's crying. <laughs> winning season, my house ain't paid off. <laughs> I still got a mortgage. I mean, dang. I'm in an apartment. We done put five bids on houses. Every time we, look, we come with a little FHA loan, somebody from California just paid. <laughs> That hurt. Y'all started groaning. The Holy Spirit's going to take those groans. Y'all went, oh, jeez. <laughs> we had to wait seven extra months for that house. Ugh. 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No! No matter how much trouble you've had, no! No matter how much calamity you've had, no! Oh, we need to bring that word calamity back. Somebody need to post that the next time they get in trouble. Like on your Instagram and your, and your Facebook. They just think it's a dope word that just needs to get back in circulation. You're going through a lot right now? Man, the calamity is just <laughs> overwhelming me right now. I mean, man, I can't deal with the amount of calamity that I feel like God's allowed me to go through. He's brought me through so much calamity. I just feel like it's four syllables, man. That's delicious. Calamity. So much better than drama. Imagine Mary J. Blige like, no more calamity in my life. <laughs> it's time for me to stop. <laughs> no, I do need to go lay down. Uh, no, despite all these things, overwhelming. Not just victory, y'all. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. This is how you're going to win for the rest of your life. Because you're going to have overwhelming victory no matter what you go through. For one reason and one reason only. God loves you. Ooh, if you knew how much he loved you. He went through all of human history, crawled through, and put his word on a cross to bleed out so that you could have a relationship with him. And he knows your trauma, and he called you anyway. He knows how many times you failed, and he called you anyway. He knows that you've been on a losing streak, and he's still telling you it's winning season. He knows everything about you, and he still says, I Love you. Now, I know there's some people in here whose butt cheeks have been tight. As I've been preaching this, because when you preach about God's love like this, without disclaimers, there's people in here that are legalists and, 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 and justice seekers that are always like, but, but someone has to pay. But you got to pay for your sins. It has nothing to do with the love, though. There are consequences for sin. But it doesn't change the love. When the prodigal son came back, daddy ran out to meet him. Boy didn't get to the porch. His daddy ran out in the middle of the street. Oh, my son's home. Threw a robe over him. Brought him in. Killed a fatty cat. We're about to have a party. Son's home. And he was back, received by his father. But he didn't get another inheritance. His daddy didn't give him two more million dollars. Like, since she came home, here's two extra mil. No, the consequence for his ratchet behavior out there with them hoes and them pigs and everything else he was out there with, that's, that's the book. It said, well, it don't say hoes. You're right. <laughs> My bad. That, that's not the book. That's me. That's, that's Inglewood in me. 
prostitute, hoe, lady of the night, Jezebel, whatever. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what your background is. You know, the promiscuous, whatever word you want to use, I choose hoe. I was born in 1975. I grew up with hoes around me. That's what I know. So, he spent all his money on all that stuff. He got to live with the memories of all of that stuff. He woke up around pigs. He has to live with that for the rest of his life. But the father's love does not change because of what he went through. He might lose some relationships because of his decisions, but he won't lose his relationship with God because of his decisions. Your spouse might leave you because of your decisions. God will not leave you because of that decision. There are consequences to sin. But I am not the legislature of that. Nor am I the judge that's supposed to execute the sentence for you. You know what you got to pay for. And it's just a consequence. It's not God. I got to, I'm trying to end. If you cheated on your spouse and you got a divorce, what you cannot say is, you know what? I wouldn't stop sleeping around. And so God had to take my whole family away from me to teach me a lesson. God didn't take your family away from you. You took your family away from you. Your stupid behind forgot that your iPhone was connected to your iPad. which was also connected to your Apple TV and you pulled up Netflix and these text messages came up and your pics came up and you was like, oh no. I can explain. Not to him, not to her. It's over between y'all. That's their decision. They ain't got to stay with you. The Bible says that. So don't the devil trying to tear up my family. You tell your family up. Your spouse has a decision to make. If she or he wants to stay with you after all of that stuff, that's on them. But if they don't, you can't be mad at them. See, you don't even want to see God do a miracle, do you? <laughs> no, the miracle is to get your promiscuous self to stop doing what you're doing. They kept their vows. You didn't. So don't blame it on God and don't blame it on them. I had a young man come in my office one day, and, and when I was a young adult pastor, and he said he, got, he wound up contracting HIV. And he was like, you know what, the Lord, I was out there, and then I don't know why the Lord wants me to go through this. But, but I just say to the Lord, not my will, but thine be done. I said, hold on. I said, we was both crying, because when he told me the diagnosis, it was devastating. We were like, <laughs> and then he said that through tears, and I was like, whoop. I, I, literally. I was like, Welp. I'll have to cry later, sir, but you won't get out of here with that theology. Let me break it down. God did not give you HIV to teach you a lesson. You gave yourself HIV to teach yourself a lesson. Let me break down a lesson. If I tell my boys they can go outside and play, 
which God blessed us, we have three acres. If, they, if we tell them we can go outside and play and don't go in the street, then we already told them where the boundary was prior to giving them permission to go outside. They went outside anyway. They're playing in the grass. And then one of them is like, I don't care about dad's boundary. The street looks fun. And they run out in the street. Bow, get hit by a car. And I don't die, thank God. But they pinned under the car. Ugh. And while they're pinned under the car, I dare one of my kids to say, Daddy sent this car to hit me to teach me a lesson. I didn't send the car to hit you. Cars are in the street. So while there might be consequences for your behavior, God's love will never change no matter what you've been through. Mourn the loss of what your behavior cost you. Mourn it as a loss. I hate that my behavior, I hate we're not on good terms, but that was, I own, that was me. And you ain't got to forgive me, and you ain't ever got to come back. We ain't ever got to be friends no more. But just know, I know what I, know what I did. I know what I did. That's on me. That's on me. I'm going to live with that for the rest of my life. That's on me. But then forgive yourself and move on. Don't waste the next seven years like you, you still don't want to be friends again. I, I apologize 11 times. Do you still want to be friends? They don't want to because there's too much hurt that's happened. Guess who still wants to be your friend? God, that joker didn't die for you. That ain't one drop of blood came out their body for you. Maybe a tear, but not blood. So keep the focus on the relationship that you do have and write an obituary for the relationships you don't have. And move on with your life. So, so, so uh, th th this altar call is going to be unique. Uh, it's a little bit different from the, from, from the first service. Um, I just feel really impressed to pray for people that need to forgive themselves. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you got into. But, but, but you're, you're, the scales have popped out of your eyes. You realized, oh my gosh, like Paul, I was murdering the same people that I became. Do you know Paul could have never wrote one letter if he was riddled with the guilt of what he did to those people in the past? His whole letter would, the whole letter would have been like, Dear Galatians, I'm so sorry for killing y'all in the past. Uh, my bad. Can you imagine three chapters of just, my, I'm so sorry. I didn't know back then what I know now. And, you know, I grew up a little bit, and God's been doing some work on the inside of my heart. And so I got therapy, and then I found out something. We wouldn't get this beautiful stuff that he wrote had he not forgiven himself for murdering the people he became. And you cannot have a winning season if you don't forgive yourself. You have to take yourself off of a punishment God never gave you. Ooh, I'm in here. I don't know who I'm in here for, but I feel it. And so I want to pray for some people 
This is the seventh year. This is, this is where debts are canceled. And God is saying, I need to cancel your debt. You need to forgive yourself. You heard about loan forgiveness? You need to forgive yourself. Stop trying to pay me back for something I already paid for. If that's you, I just want you to meet me at this altar right now. You need to forgive yourself, whoever you are. I just ask you to come. You need to forgive yourself. You're in a different frame of mind now. You need to forgive yourself. You can't change the past. You can't change what it is. You just need to forgive yourself. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just forgive yourself. All right? There's consequences. Get it. Great. Forgive yourself. I'm not saying walking around like you didn't do nothing. Like, yeah. No. But just forgive yourself. Own your mistake. Forgive yourself. And let's go. I, it's unbelievable, spontaneously, how many people just hit their knees. I don't know. That's, dang. Okay, Jesus. Wherever you are, just come on. Just fill in, fill in all the way around. Get as close as you can. I just want, just forgive yourself. Just forgive yourself. Nothing you can do about it now. Just be forgiven. Just be forgiven. He forgave you already. So release it. Just release it. Just release it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So, Father, we thank you right now. Let's just, let's just start praying. Everybody that's seated, let's, let's just pray for everybody that's up here right now. If you have a prayer language, use it. If you, your native tongue, whether it's Spanish or, whether, or, or whatever you, if it's German, if it's Croatian, if it's Nigerian, whatever you speak, let's just pray. God, we thank you right now that you forgive us because you forgive us. Tears are good right now. I promise you, tears are good right now. Since you forgive us, we forgive ourselves. Since you forgive us, we forgive ourselves. We take ourselves off of punishment. We will no longer put ourselves in a jail cell that you did not build. I come against the enemy right now who has lied to us and told us that we don't deserve to be in God's presence, that he can no longer use us, that we are no longer worthy. Who shall condemn you? No one. Who can accuse you? No one. What can stand against you? Nothing can. And nothing will. Father, I thank you for the restoration that you're doing in our hearts. I thank you for the restoration that you're doing in our souls. And I pray that right now in the name of Jesus that you would take this message. Let it sink deeply into our hearts so that we may never again lose. But spend the rest of our God, the rest of our lives winning. Because overwhelming victory is ours. Because of Christ Jesus. We give you praise. Thanks for listening today. 
If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Urban. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text embassycity, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.